Hello, I'm Stacy. I'm Hannah. And this is Any Crime at All. As you can tell, this is not Coulter this time. Definitely the not. The voice is a bit high for Colt. Uh, this is one of my best friends in the whole wide world forever and ever and ever, my friend Hannah. Yay, listen to the crowd. <sighs> Hello. Oh, everyone loves her. So we call everyone freaks. We're all freaks around here. I'm okay, okay with that. Yeah, okay. So Coulter... Uh, as you guys know, I think he mentioned it, is in Ontario visiting my mama, his grandmama, and he's so far having a good time, I guess. Um, Hannah's from Ontario too, actually. Yeah, Thunder Bay, actually. Yep. I've been hearing some shit things about Thunder Bay, man. Yeah. It's real bad there lately, eh? With it's, the crime and... It's not going well. It's, uh, it's... Is it an economy thing, or... Well, yeah, there's not a lot of work, and uh, with layoffs at Bombardier, that tends to happen and, when the economy goes down, and crime goes up. And you start seeing boarded up buildings, and you start seeing for sale for lease signs, and you know, one thing turns into another, and yep. here we are. Yep. Detroit reminds me of Detroit, and then they filed for bankruptcy and all that stuff. Yeah, so um, I can't remember. Are you big on true crime or not too, too much? Everything I watch every night to go to sleep, usually someone's dying. It's true crime? I, because I know you used to go to sleep to horror movies. Yep, that too. But so. mostly lately it's been Forensic Files. <gasps> and, of course, ever. Robert Stack. Oh, um, Unsolved... Is that Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries? Mysteries? Yeah, the old, the old one. one. Not the new yeah. one. Yeah, I didn't I, like the new one. I switched back and forth, and then so I set a timer to go to bed. So once I get through the whole series... I start on episode two, and then I hit all the ones that I didn't watch the first time around because I was sleeping. Oh, that's so cool. So I keep doing that until I've seen them all, and I've seen them all so many times that it doesn't even matter, but I'm going to sleep anyway. Yeah. So. That's cool. Yeah, the one we watched last night, um, a lady poisoned her husband with cyanide pills. She filled uh, aspirin pills mm. with uh, cyanide, and then mm -hmm. filled some more bottles and put them on a shelf at different pharmacies nearby so it no. would look like it was a contaminated like the aspirin. tylenol murders back yeah. in the day but they That's still caught on to they still caught did anybody else die yes another lady in somebody else's house died from it what a fucking bitch yeah i mean it's one thing to don't do it but it's one thing to get rid of your husband but you're fucking killing other random people yep. That's. Accidentally. Diabolical. It was only in a few different bottles, but they have video footage for going into the different stores and putting them on the shelves. That's Somebody disgusting. Somebody else ended up taking them and another lady died. And her husband. For, wow. and, wait for it, the life insurance was only $25,000. Oh, come on, bitch. Come on. It's gotta be a quarter of a mil before I get the, some cyanide. <laughs> I think the narrator mentioned that she just... She was bored and not happy in the relationship anymore, and she was having financial trouble. Ah. So that leads to apparently cyaniding her husband for 25 grand and killing two other people in the process. What year was this? Uh, you remember? Early, mid-90s, I think. So it's 25 like, grand was a little bit better, but not still. Not really. Ugh. Not really. All right. So let's get into this before Hannah and I start coming up with evil murder plots. <laughs> Um, we're going to do some lesser known assassinations. 
So we're not doing like JFK because everyone course, knows about that. We're not doing John Lennon because I will never cover John Lennon on this. Or Lincoln. We're not doing Lincoln because everyone knows about that. Have you heard of Spencer Percival? No. Sounds like something out of Harry Potter. It is from England. So, yeah, you're not far. So Percival has a distinction all his own in that he is the only British prime minister to ever have been assassinated. Isn't that crazy? Weird. I thought there what must have been more. Form? But then, has any Canadian prime minister been assassinated? There's one that should be. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, we'd probably just beat them with a hockey stick anyway. Fucking beer in one hand, stick hockey stick, stick in, in the other. Skates. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Dirty hit. <laughs> he just... Out of the office for like fucking 25 games. High sticking to the neck. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he became prime minister on October 4th, 1809 and moved on, uh, moved into, sorry, number 10 Downing Street in London because that's where they live. Still, I believe. John Bellingham was none too happy with the British government when on May 11th, 1812, at 5 p.m., he strode into the Palace of Westminster and sat by the fireplace. The House of Commons, this is where it's housed, in a fucking palace. Like, the British know how to do shit, man, I tell you. Uh, the House of Commons was in session that day, and Bellingham, or Bellingham, was waiting for Spencer Percival. It seems that in 1804, Mr. Bellingham went to Archangel in Russia. I've never heard of it, but anyway... Uh, which was a big trading post with Britain at the time, where he was falsely accused of fraud. It took him five long years to prove he was innocent with almost no help coming from his own government. Wow. Yeah. So Prime Minister Percival had been set to arrive at the House of Commons at 4.30, but it seems he was running a little late that day. A bit after 5 p.m., when Percival walked into the palace, Bellingham stood and slowly made his way towards the Prime Minister. After drawing a pistol from a secret pocket sewn into the inside of his coat, Bellingham fired a shot at Percival, who in turn cried out, quote, I am murdered, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do that with a straight face. <laughs> really? I am murdered, yeah. Uh, the Prime Minister was carried to the Speaker's house and gently laid on a table. However, the 49-year-old man was already dead. Meanwhile, Bellingham returned to his seat by the fire and calmly waited for the authorities. There was an inquest complete with a jury of 21 men on May 12, 1912, held at the Rosen Crown Pub on Downing Street. Interesting. Yeah, that's so British. <laughs> on May 15, 1812, Bellingham's trial began at the Old Bailey. The first prosecution witness was uh, the MP of Norwich, William Smith, who was, incidentally... Florence Nightingale's grandfather. Really? Yeah, isn't that cool? I just put that in because of that. I had no idea. <laughs> the defense put forth an insanity plea, but it was totally rejected when he was found guilty and sentenced to hang. At 8 in the morning on May 18, 1812, John Bellingham was put to death at Newgate Prison in London. The hangman's assistants pulled on his legs to hasten his death. No, oh, they when really he fell. didn't like him. Yeah. Kill our Prime Minister? Fuck you. Okay, now this is rather a kind of a well-known one, but I had to put it in just because it's fucked up. Rasputin. Hmm. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. 
So Gregory Efimovich Rasputin arrived in St. Petersburg, then the Russian capital, in 1903, and his reputation as a mystic and a healer began to grow and soon reached the royal court. In 1912, the wife of Tsar Nicholas I, Tsarina Alexandra, sent word to Rasputin, who was in Siberia, to please heal her hemophilic son, Alexei, as he was woefully ill. Rasputin prayed for the boy, and miraculously, Alexei pulled through. Wow. Crazy, Fancy. right? The power of prayer. Uh, the power of Christ compels you. Um, where was I? Praise uh, blah, blah, blah. Jesus. <laughs> From then on, every time Alexei got sick, Rasputin prayed for him, and every time the boy recovered. I know. <laughs> then he predicted that the Russian army would fall during World War I unless Tsar Nicholas took direct command. So the Tsar left to command his armies. While her husband was away, Alexandra fell ever deeper under Rasputin's quote-unquote spell. You think he had an agenda when he said that about Tsar Nicholas? No Yeah, way. get out of here, dude. Um, other members of the royal court were pretty pissed about this, so a plan was made. On December 30th, 1916, Prince Felix, a minor royal, invited Rasputin to meet a beautiful woman. Felix picked the healer up in a car and took him to the prince's luxury home and led him to the basement. There they found two British soldiers, Lieutenant Oswald Rayner and Captain Stephen J. Alley, as well as two women. <clears throat> Pardon me. The soldiers were part of the Secret Intelligence Service Station in St. Hmm. Yeah, that place. St. Petersburg. The group offered Rasputin red wine and cakes filled with cyanide, but he declined. They went to Plan B and began beating the shit out of him until he stopped moving. Well. Rasputin's right eye was detached. His right ear was almost ripped off and his genitals had been crushed. Yikes. While the men carried him outside thinking he was dead, Rasputin let out a moan. They dropped him on the ground in a sitting position against a snowdrift and shot him twice in the body. The body was wrapped in a cloth and carried to a car for disposal because he had to be dead now, right? Yeah, wrong. <laughs> Rasputin moaned again, so the group laid him on the ground where Oswald Rayner then shot him right in the forehead. Rasputin died instantly. I was going to say, did he die after that one? Well, yeah. Okay. The body was brought to the River Neva, or Neva, I'm not sure how you say that, and unceremoniously tossed in. Eight days later, Captain Alley wrote, quote, Although matters here have not proceeded entirely to plan, our objective has clearly been achieved, unquote. Three days later, Rasputin's body was found, and it took another two days for it to thaw enough to perform an autopsy on it. This was clearly a homicide. No one was ever actually charged for the murder of Rasputin. Tsarina Alexandra had him buried in the ground of Tsarkoya Silo. I don't speak Russian. Uh, it means Tsar's village. Later, after the Russian Revolution, Rasputin's body was dug up and burned in a field. Interesting. Yeah. They really hated him. Yeah. Yeah. Took a lot to kill that motherfucker too, eh? Apparently. <clears throat> Apparently he was, like, very dirty. Do you think he was high on drugs? Rasputin? Well, usually. 
junkies, mm-hmm. you know, people screwed up on drugs. Yeah, it takes a they lot. They take a lot them, more right? shots and a lot more hits because oh, their know. body he, he doesn't was a realize mystic. it needs to go into so, shock. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Could have been. What kind of drugs did they have in fucking Siberia at the time? <laughs> I don't know. Just eat like a lot of snow. It just gets you real high. Uh, the next one we have is Benigno Aquino. Benigno, or Ninoy, as he was known, Simone Aquino Jr. was the main opposition to Ferdinand Marcos's presidency in the Philippines. Do you know anything about Ferdinand and no, Imelda Marcos? Well, they were very, very corrupt. In May of 1980, Aquino went to America to receive treatment for his heart ailment. Three years later, in 1983, he decided to go back to his home country and ask Marcos to just step down as president. Yeah, because that happens a lot. So on August 13th, 1983, Aquino boarded a flight at Logan Airport in Boston using a fake name. While in the air, Aquino called his wife, Corey, who'd stayed in America, and learned that Marcos was well aware of his opposition's imminent return. He also knew what flight Aquino would be on. Upon hanging up with his wife, Aquino said to one of his aides, they're going to kill me at the airport and then kill the guy who did it. Very much like a... A premonition of sorts. Sort of, and very much like a fucking uh, JFK. You know? They caught Lee Harvey Oswald and then... Jack Ruby just happened to fucking shoot him, you know? Anyway, um, while the plane was landing at Manila International Airport, Aquino put a bulletproof vest on under his suit. Then he said to a journalist, quote, it's only good for the body, but if they hit me in the head, I'm a goner anyway, unquote. At the airport, there were up to 20,000 supporters of Aquino and around 2,000 security personnel to ensure his safety. On Sunday, August 21st, 1983, the plane stopped at Gate 8 and the jet bridge was connected to the plane. Five soldiers entered the plane to escort Aquino off the plane. I put Aquino's for some reason. Uh, Literally, mere seconds after Aquino left the plane, he was shot in the head and killed instantly. Just over a foot away lay the apparent gunman wearing a blue shirt and white pants. The government statement was that the man in the blue shirt was a lone gunman and that he'd been a professional assassin and had fired a 357 Magnum. However, when the body was searched, the man had no identification whatsoever. So how did they know at the time? Mm. He was a lone gunman. He was a hired assassin. Yeah, that's what happened. On August 30th, 1983, it was announced that the killer's name was Rolando Gallman. To this day, no one knows why or even if Gallman killed Aquino. In November of 1985, Marcos called for an election to be held in February of 1986. Marcos apparently won, but Corey Aquino's, that was uh, Ninoy's wife, Hmm. and her supporters would not accept this outcome. And later, in 1986, Marcos and his wife Imelda fled from the Philippines. This is when Corazon, Corey Aquino, became the 15th president of the country. So he didn't end up becoming president, but his wife did. So that's kind of cool. Side note. So the list of illegal drugs in the 1800s was pretty much only like morphine. That makes um, sense. 
opium. Uh, yeah. They mixed opium into alcohol to get more fucked up. Heroin in the 1840s when they invented the hypodermic needle. Really? That goes back that far? Cannabis, coca, and mescal. So like mescaline? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know heroin went back that fucking far. Yep. Holy fuck, somebody invented the needle and somebody went, I'm shooting drugs up, man. <laughs> Let's see what that does. The main source in the 1800s is mixing opium and alcohol. And Russia, known for its fucking vodka, can you imagine? Yeah, you get pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Holy. All right. So the next one is the Brighton Bomb. And surprisingly, I'd never heard of this one, and I probably should have. On May 3rd, 1979, conservative Margaret Thatcher, which I'm sure you've heard of. Of course. Became the first female Prime Minister of England when she beat out James Callaghan, the Labour leader. In 1984, the annual Conservative Conference was supposed to happen in October at the Grand Hotel in Brighton, which is located on the south coast of England. On September 19th, a man who went by the name Roy Walsh checked into room 629 at the same hotel. He told staff that he was a carpenter, so no one thought it was weird when they saw him carrying tools of his trade to his room. In reality, this man was 33-year-old Patrick McGee, a member of the Irish Republican Army. Oh no, the IRA. Mm-hmm. Over the next 24 days, Patrick tore down a bathroom wall in his room, then rebuilt it with 30 pounds of gelignite or blasting gelatin wrapped in cling wrap. Apparently the cling wrap was used to use so sniffer dogs wouldn't be able to smell it. One would think that there would have been excessive noise coming from room 629, However, no one was even remotely suspicious or anything, so no one said anything, I guess. The Conservatives held their ball on October 11th, 1984, and Prime Minister Thatcher popped in for a bit, but left just before 11 p.m. as she had, uh, she had to work on her speech for the next day. Thatcher was in the sitting room of her suite at 2.54 a.m. when a massive explosion shook the entire building. The long-delay time bomb, which... I have read he used an egg timer. Oh, wow. Um, had detonated and brought down a five-ton chimney from the roof all the way down to the basement. Later, firemen would say that it was only because the Victorian-era building was built so well that the whole thing didn't come crashing down. That doesn't surprise me, no. though. A little later that morning, Margaret Thatcher said, quote, I think that was an assassination attempt, don't you? Quote, Unquote. I don't know who she was talking to. The Prime Minister still gave her speech on that Friday. I said, balls of steel on this lady. The day after the bombing, the IRA took credit for the bombing in a statement that read, Mrs. Thatcher will now realize that Britain cannot occupy our country and torture our prisoners and shoot our people in their own streets and get away with it. Today, we were unlucky. But remember, we only have to be lucky once. You will have to be lucky always. Give Ireland peace and there will be no more war. During her speech, Thatcher said the bombing was, quote, an attempt to cripple Her Majesty's uh, democratically elected government, unquote. She continued, quote, <clears throat> pardon me, that is a scale of the outrage in which we have all shared and the fact that we are gathered here now, shocked but composed and determined, 
is a sign not only that this attack has failed, but that all attempts to destroy democracy, democracy by terrorism will fail, unquote. Unfortunately, five people were killed in the bombing. They were a conservative MP, Sir Anthony Berry, uh, Eric Taylor, he was uh, a Northwest Area Chairman of the Conservative Party, Lady Shattock, uh, wife of Sir Gordon Shattock, Chairman of the Conservative Party, Lady McLean, wife of Sir Donald McLean, President of the Scottish Conservatives, and Roberta Wakeham, wife of Chief Whip. So now the only John question Wakeham. I have there is why were the ladies of those two people there, but the husbands were not? Well, maybe they were in the bathroom. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Donald and Muriel McLean were in the room in which the bomb exploded, but Donald survived. So there's that answer. A further 34 people were injured in the blast, a few of them with permanent disabilities. The Saturday after the bombing, Prime Minister Thatcher said in a speech to the nation, quote, We suffered a tragedy not one of us could have thought would happen in our country. And we picked ourselves up and sorted ourselves out as all good British people do. And I thought, let us stand together, for we are British. They are trying to destroy the fundamental freedom that is the birthright of every British citizen. Freedom, justice, and democracy. Unquote. Yeah. God, don't let somebody else try to attack, try to take over a country. That's Britain's thing to do. Um... Uh, now, I'm sure you've heard of this name before, Leon Trotsky. Sounds familiar. Yeah, you would have. You're a well-read person. I know you've heard Leon Trotsky before. Yeah, it sounds familiar. <clears throat> so Lev Davidovich Bronstein, later known as Leon Trotsky, was born on October 26, 1879, 1879, in Yanovka, Kherson province in Russia. This place is now known as Bereslavka, and it's a village in the Ukraine. After the November 7th, 1918 revolution, which Trotsky was a leading force in, he was second only to Vladimir Lenin in the Bolshevik hierarchy. <clears throat> he became the head of the Red Army and Commissar of War on March 13, 1918. But in 1920 and 21, political and personal differences began to arise between Trotsky and Lenin. However, this was quelled when both men, both men began to rail against the rising Soviet bureaucracy. Now, if somebody doesn't know what bureaucracy means, it is a system of government in which most of the important decisions are made by state officials rather than by elected representatives. However, the general secretary of the Central Committee, Joseph Stalin, bum, bum, bum. No way. <laughs> was all for the bureaucracy. Wow, what a shock that is. On January 21st, 1924, Vladimir Lenin passed away while Trotsky was on vacation in the Caucasus. <clears throat> Losing my voice here. Stalin wasted no time putting on a grand funeral for Lenin, then positioning himself as the true heir to rule Russia. Of course he did. On January 31st of 1928, Stalin exiled Trotsky to Kazakhstan. Then in February of the following year, he was completely kicked out of the Soviet Union. They fucking sent him to Turkey. Fuck off, buddy. Get out of here. <laughs> After this, Leon Trotsky made his way around Europe for a number of years until famous painter Diego Rivera invited him to live in Mexico. 
1939, Trotsky moved into a suburb of Mexico City where he would live for the rest of his life. In his autobiography, Trotsky said this about Stalin, and I have to agree with him, but anyway, quote, he is gifted with practicality, a strong will, and persistence in carrying out his aims. His political horizon is restricted, his theoretical equipment primitive, his work of compilation, the foundations of Leninism, in which he made an attempt to pay tribute to, to the theoretical traditions of the party, is full of sophomoric errors. His ignorance of foreign languages compels him to follow the political life of other countries at second hand. His mind is stubbornly empirical and devoid of creative imagination. To the leading group of the party, in the to the leading group of the party, in the wide circles he was not known at all, he always seemed a man destined to play second or third fiddle, and the fact that today he is playing first is not so much a summing up of the man as it is of his transitional period of political backsliding in the country." Unquote. That's what Trotsky had to say about him, and I couldn't agree more. He was correct, of course. Stalin eventually became a dictator, and he was the ultimate cause of 20 million Russian people perishing. Jesus. Mostly from starvation. Like, there was cannibalism. It was so bad over there. That's awful. Yeah. Also in 1939, Stalin steadfastly claimed that Trotsky was planning to have him assassinated. Now, I did do a shit ton of... I looked everywhere on the internet that I could find. I read so much about fucking Trotsky. I could not find anywhere that Trotsky was planning to kill him. Nowhere. Weird. So this was just a... In his mind? A segment of his imagination? Perhaps? Well, I think Stalin was trying to get the, the people on his side. Like, they're trying to assassinate your leader, you know, kind of a thing. On May 24th, 1940, Stalinist agent Iosef Romaldovich, along with 19 other men, riddled Trotsky's house with bullets. He survived but a bodyguard and an American visitor were, were killed during the attack. During the well, summer that's of, a fail. Yeah. During the summer of 1940, Trotsky became acquainted with a Canadian businessman named Jacques Monard, who was, uh, who was the lover of one of Trotsky's followers. Monard claimed that he was interested in the Russian man's political ideals, and the two men became fast friends. Apparently, they, they had coffee together quite a lot and talked politics and shit, so. Um, on August 20th, 1940, pardon me, there was a bubble in my throat there, Trotsky invited his newfound friend over for tea. Now, normally, everyone who entered the residence would be searched. However, because he was a personal guest of Trotsky, the guards did not search the man for weapons. Well, that was a mistake. They didn't even think it was odd that Mornard was wearing a raincoat on a bright, sunny Mexican day. Neither Leon Trotsky nor his guards had any way of knowing that Jacques Mornard was not who he seemed. I mean, if the guards were women, they would have searched him. Oh, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> his real name was Ramon Mercator, and he was definitely carrying a weapon. While having tea, Trotsky bent over for something, and Ramon stuck him in the side of the head with an ice pick. But Trotsky, even at 60 years old, found the strength to deter the man from inflicting any more critical hits. He did have another cut on his arm and one on his leg. They fought until the guards arrived and they beat Ramon to the ground. Trotsky called out, quote, 
Do not kill him. This man has a story to tell, unquote. Unfortunately, Leon Trotsky succumbed to his wounds only 26 hours later. It kind of sucks. Mercator was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the killing of the former Soviet official. He was released on May 6, 1960, and a year later he moved to Havana, Cuba in 1961, a communist country. Hmm. Weird. Fancy. Mm-hmm. He then moved to the Soviet Union, whereupon he became only one of 21 non-Soviet people to receive a Hero of the Soviet Union medal. Do you think he was hired to do it? Possibly. He died in Havana on October 18, 1978. The name on his tombstone is Ramon Ivanovich Lopez in the Kuncevo Cemetery in Moscow. And I just put this as a little incidentally thing. All of Leon Trotsky's books were banned in the Soviet Union until 1987. And in 1989, they actually began being published in Russian again. So that's kind of cool. He had a few books, too. Uh, and that is all we have. This is a short one this time, guys. But uh, I don't know who I'm going to do research on next. Maybe Joel Rifkin. Who's that? A killer of prostitutes in, of in New York. What about Dr. Death? Have you done him yet? Oh, Harold Shipman? Yeah. No, I haven't. That's a good one. That's a long one. That's going to be a long one. He killed a lot of fucking people. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Um, I actually, I don't even murder think... murder hotel. Oh, H.H. H. Holmes. The murder hotel. Yeah. H.H. H. Holmes. See... He was creepy. Yeah. I did a lot of research on that guy when I was bored and watching weird old British documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. H.H. H. Holmes was pretty, was yeah. A little bit on the off side. He was gassing people long before fucking Nazis did it. He did all sorts and of stuff. And he had like peepholes and to watch them die. Oof. Yep. Fucking guy killed kids. Fuck. He killed one kid in Ontario, actually. He only, I think he only um, admitted to like 27 or something, but they say he killed any upwards of like 300 oh, people. Oh, there's got to be in that murder hotel. Like, yeah. there's a post office there now. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine? There's got to be a lot of activity in there. Is Res it haunted? You would think. Like, I feel like it should be haunted. Right? Like letters just floating across the room and shit. People stealing your mail and hiding it. <laughs> mm -hmm. People getting fired for it. I didn't do it. Meanwhile, it's just ghosts. <laughs> I feel like there would be a lot of ghosts. I Yeah. One would think. God. Okay, so that is it for this week. Thank you very much, Hannah, You're for joining welcome. me on this journey. Sure. <laughs> of assassination. Journey of enlightenment. Uh, don't get any ideas. Okay, no cyanide, nothing like that, no ice picks. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be back next week, maybe with Hannah again, maybe with Coulter, who knows? Let's see what happens. Okay, so um, we have this little saying at the end that we say, you have to keep your head on a swivel because people are capable of any crime at all. Because that's the name of the podcast, get it? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> She's looking at me like, what am I, stupid? Anyway, we love you freaks, and I'll see you next week. Bye!